This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 80. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast here in lovely, beautiful Denver, Colorado, with my wonderful host, Brandon Turner. <laughs> you said that I had to look out my window. I saw that. Because I'm like, I, I, it looks kind of dark and dreary right now, but it, it's just, you know, it's typical cloudy and not raining though. So we're good. We're good. Yeah. 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 Well, you're well, back in Colorado because you were gone for like a year. So I, I was gone <laughs> for, I, I spent four days in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, which if you are unaware is an amazing little town. It's a ski town about three hours outside of Denver. Such a cool place to bring the family. You know, amazing stuff to do, cool hikes and alpine slides and hot springs. It's it, it was awesome. We we took a couple of days and and then Rub it in. Uh, yeah, well, you know. Uh <laughs> last week I was in San Francisco, which is the other end of the scale, which happens to be probably one of the most disgusting cities on planet <laughs> Earth. Wow. Yeah, you know. You just I, lost like a thousand listeners, right? They there. don't like me anyway, the guys in San Francisco. So, <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, I like San Francisco. I like San Francisco as a city. I like the infrastructure's okay. Like the city itself is cool, but walking around that city, I've never been, and I've, I've traveled to, to some pretty weird, you know, interesting cities around the world. I've never been to a dirtier, more disgusting <laughs> city. It's, it's, every street stinks of urine. You walk around, there's like gum and litter all over the place. You know, everybody's outside blowing cigarette smoke in your mouth and in, in, in your face. It's just, I don't know. I, I thought it was awful. I was really, <laughs> clearly I'm not pulling punches here, but, uh, I, I mean, San Francisco, you got to clean up your act. I mean, seriously, <laughs> when, when people come and visit that town and, and they see how disgusting the streets are, something's not right. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember that. That's yeah, right. well, maybe you well, hang out in the shady spots though. And I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It was dirty. It was dirty. So uh, I'm back and here we are. And, uh, we've got a, a pretty cool, pretty cool show for today. This is for show 80 with Jonna Weber and Jonna is a buy and hold investor and realtor from the Boise, Idaho area. Uh, she's the owner of, as she, I think likes to say two hands full of, of investment properties, and she she brings a lot of great experience as a landlord and investor friendly real estate agent and there's uh there's some some pretty decent insight uh to to come ahead well you know one thing i really like about the show you know we recorded this about you know an hour ago but one thing that i i got out of it that i think people are going to love is that her her methodology behind her investing is so simple and almost like boring. Like I think she, she would say boring, right? Like yep, it's yep. not she's not doing like these crazy weird like things and all these like negotiation tactics and strategies and and marketing. I mean, she's really like she's building massive wealth through very simple, straightforward, classic real estate investing. I love that. I love it. Yep. So it's yep. a good reminder to kind of break down and just look at this is how it's done when you want to build wealth for retirement. Like they're planning retirement and this is how they're going to get there. And I love yeah. it. So. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, there's, you know, it doesn't, real estate can be complicated and you can make it complicated and you do, can do all sorts of fancy uh, tactics and techniques, but you can also really just do the basics. You can really just kind of 
simplify it and you know buy and hold you know there's not much more to buy and hold other than learning buy and hold but yep. you know it's pretty simple so definitely encourage you uh, to to listen before we get to the show really quickly I uh, want to talk to you guys about today's pro benefit of the week for those of you who are not aware bigger pockets has these really really cool things called keyword alerts keyword alerts are amazing for keeping you in tune with what's happening on the site. So if you're an investor in in Seattle, Washington, you could set up Seattle and Washington as keywords. And anytime there's discussions that are happening about your area, you can hear about them or you could set up flipping or, or, you know, some, some interesting strategies. You could also do combination keyword alerts now of Seattle flipping LLC. So you want to hear about anytime somebody's talking about flipping in Seattle with an LLC, any of that stuff. Okay, so as a pro, you get 20 keyword alerts or combination alerts. As a plus member, you get 10. And for our free users, you get five. So we think it's a pretty good uh, benefit being able to set up more uh, specific keyword alerts so you're not getting tons of email about irrelevant keywords. Uh, So get those keyword alerts set up today. Get engaged. And of course, as you engage, you're going to uh, have the joys of building up your network and learning. So uh, jump on that. So You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, Rent to Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest, 
Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Yeah, that's it. Well, let's, uh, let's jump onto the show. Jana, welcome to the podcast. We're really excited to have you. Thank you. This is a privilege. I really enjoyed the podcast, every single one of them. And this is just wonderful to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the pleasure is all ours. Really. It is. So, uh, so in prepping for this podcast, you had mentioned to me that you were like the investor next door, right? You were the, the typical American family. What, what did you mean by that? Well, what I meant by that, and I know that there are so many different types of investors out there, but um, I've got two kids where I work part time and I have a husband with a very busy career and we got kids very involved in sports. We're going every place all the time. And we invest in buy and holds on a part-time basis in a very simple, methodical fashion. So what you're saying is anybody could do what you're doing? I believe anybody can do something with real estate and make a difference in their retirement. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. Well, I know Brandon and I talk, talk a lot about this topic. I think it's something that most people... Probably our listeners at this point, anyone who's listened to our show realizes that anyone can do it. But I was just in California. I was in San Francisco for a week at a conference of real estate agents, which is why uh, talking to you is is kind of interesting. And what I found fascinating was most of the agents I talked to were like, I don't know, can I do it? Uh, Can I do it? Can I be investing? You know, and, and I was like, anybody can do this. This is really something that anybody can do. You just got to figure out the basics, get the financial education to, to understand what you need to do and, and how things work and, and take it from there. So I'm very happy to be talking to you about this. Thank you. Me too. This is great. Yeah. Cool. So how, how did you, how'd you get started? What, you know, what, what got you interested in the first place? Always love real estate. Always looked, love looking at houses. And it's interesting. When I go back 10, 12 years ago, it was my husband that actually started looking at the idea of investing in property. And at the time, I was I was working some. I had two small kids, maybe one at the time. And we always liked looking at real estate. But my husband was the one that had the idea to actually go in and, and look at purchasing some. And we bought two properties in the 2000s. And uh, one, the first one was just a little townhome. And it did not cash flow. It paid the mortgage, and we still own that townhome to this day. The other one was actually a primary residence we have that we turned into a rental property, which in this instance was not necessarily a great idea because it not only did not have cash flow, it had negative cash flow. Mm. Fast forward to 2011, and the market was in free fall, or so it seemed at the time, and the sky was falling, and I saw the prices around us, and I can't pinpoint the moment when this happened, but the idea got planted in my head. What if we let go of that one investment property that's losing money on a monthly basis and turned it into something that could actually make us money for retirement? Yeah. And that's when the true investing career started. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. So were you, were you an accidental landlord? Was it just like a, a work move or was it you guys wanted a new house? Because a lot of people, I think, find themselves in a position where, hey, I live somewhere and either A, I have to move for work or B, I just, I'm done with this house. We need to move up or move down. And, you know, that decision comes, do I, do I rent it out or do I sell it? Exactly. It actually was a work-related move. And rather than sell it at the time, we were emotionally attached. We didn't know if we wanted to come back to it, and we just started renting it out. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and then I've, I've got a, a, another question. So you're, you're up in Boise, right? Yes. Okay. So in 2011, was Boise getting shocked? You know, Because I feel like the market kind of started to turn around uh, a little bit before that. But was it just because right. you know, every market's different, of course. So I was, I'm just right. Curious. You know, it might have been late 2010 that I started looking. We definitely didn't make our first other purchase until 2011. Okay. But Boise was, it reached its lowest point in the year 2011. It went, we were the biggest foreclosure places in the nation. It was pretty bad here. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So you've got these two properties. You dump the old one to pick up some new ones and actually, you know, get out of a big fat loser and start picking up some winners. So what, what was the final impetus that did that for you? How did you, how did you guys get to that mindset where like, you know, I, I, you held on to this thing for a long time. I mean, you literally held yeah. a losing About property. About four years longer than we should have. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, I'm not saying this to pick on you, but that's crazy. Um, don't and do what we did. Don't yeah. do what you did. And, but, but you're not alone. I bet you, you know, of the you know, tens of thousands of people listening, you know, I know there's a lot of folks who are sitting there holding on to losing properties and so what is the mindset, right? Is it maybe one day it's going to turn around? Maybe we'll see some appreciation. Maybe I'll get yes. ahead of this and you're just kind of holding on forever. Yes, exactly. It was hard to look back in what we could have sold it for in 2006, 2007 and just see it go down, 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 down. But yeah. in the meantime, it was so far beyond even making a break-even proposition, having a renter in there. And we weren't in a position uh, at that point. We didn't even want to move back to the property. Yeah. So at some point you got to cut the cord and and I think that's that's the hardest part. I mean, I know I've I've had to sell property that, you know, went the wrong way and you know, it's hard. It's this challenge. You have to get yourself over, "Oh, man, I'm going to get out of this much lower than I got into it." Um yeah. but the calculus is, you know, "Oh my god, I'm losing all this money every month. Well, shoot, if I hold on for, you know, another 6 months and it doesn't go the other direction, I'm in deep trouble anyway." Right. Exactly. We started penciling it out and didn't look, it didn't look favorable. I gotcha. Well, one of, one of the hard things in that and, and something that I deal with, like I have one property that it was my primary residence. We fixed it up like as an investment, but then we ended up moving in. We moved out a little bit later and now the thing loses money every month. Like it was just a bad deal. I didn't really know what I was doing. It was like my second property I ever bought. And, uh, I would love to sell that thing, but I can't cause I'm underwater in it. Right. So I lose money every month and I'm underwater. So I just can't sell it. Um, and I'm uh, granted, I could take the loss. I could take probably a $20,000 loss. So that, that becomes a question where Josh, you probably be more inclined to say, uh, you should sell it and take the loss and get out of it where I'm more of the thinking, like if I'm losing a hundred a month, let's say I'm losing an average of a hundred a month on it. I, I kind of figure in the long run, it's kind of like a forced savings plan for me. Cause I'm paying down the mortgage every month. I'm getting the tax benefits. I'm getting the other things that it's, it's like, I'm. I have a savings account that I'm putting a hundred dollars a month in every month and adding some stress in. So, I mean, that's kind of how I look at it, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think ultimately for me, the, the math on it becomes, am I losing money every month? 
I, I don't see it as a forced savings plan. I see it as a forced losing plan. <laughs> and I I see it as I could take that loss and, you know, talk to your accountants, of course, and I can right. use that loss uh, to pair off any gains that I that I have on other investments. And, you know, the question is, do you have any equity? Well, obviously not if you're upside down. So you've got no equity. So are you paying out of pocket to dump this thing? And if so, you know, that's when it gets a little bit trickier. Yeah, if, if I had to pay 20 grand to get rid of it, $100 a month, where does that make up for it? I mean, that's 1200 a year. That would be a lot of years. Well, that's, that's that. the challenge. I mean, but, the challenge yeah. is upside down in terms of like, hey, I put 40 grand down and I'm going to burn through, you know, I'll walk away with nothing or I put nothing down, which in, in this case, I believe, Brandon, is probably your situation, right? Yeah, I didn't, put, yeah, I didn't put anything down on this one. Yeah, so that, that that's a lot harder decision. I, I'm okay with walking away with equity. I would have a hard time, too, walking away if I had to pay $20,000 at closing. That, that that would change the math dramatically. And and I'm guessing, uh, Jonna, that was that what the, the case was for you? Did you lose your equity or did you actually have to pay out of pocket? You know what? We actually had a little bit of equity in the house, and yeah. that was that was huge that we That's were able good. to do that and made that decision that much easier. But I can see it's just a fine line. You have to look at your personal financials and yep. yeah, yeah, and, and, I, right. and I challenge like anybody who's listening. I'd love to hear. We'd love to hear from you if you're listening. This is Show Eighty, the Bigger Pockets podcast. The show notes are biggerpockets.com/slash/show eighty. If you've dealt with this situation where you're upside down, because I know Brandon wants to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're upside down, not only in equity, but also just like actually upside down on the, on the property itself. And you've had to make the decision on whether to, to unload or, and, and pay out or to just kind of hold on. I, I'm sure we'd love to hear from you and, and, and see what, you know, what you're dealing with. And, and I don't know, maybe you guys can all get together and bang your heads and <laughs> figure something out. But uh, it's pain, really painful for a short time, but it's just like ripping a Band-Aid off and then you yeah. get to move on and it feels better. Yeah. Well, here's here's the, the, I don't know what you call it, theory or methodology that I've used to justify it. And it, this may be changing because I'm about to kick out the person that's in that house for like the <laughs> fifth bad tenant in a row. Oh, no. So you're going to be cursed. really, really, yeah, really it's changing. Down. Yeah, it's very, it's changing very fast. But here was my always my, my theory. Maybe this will give some encouragement to people. If you bought a bad property in the past, which almost every real estate investor at a time will do it. Yeah, let me, let me actually backtrack. When you're playing blackjack, the game of blackjack, I said this on a very early podcast, like one or two. If you're playing blackjack, there's a strategy that a lot of people play that if you lose, you double your bet. And then the next hand, if you lose, you double your bet again. If you lose again, you double your bet. Eventually you will win and you'll get all of your losses back. So what I call that is like, like on investment property that's bad, don't kick yourself in the, you know, in the backside because you're, you know, screwed up, but use it to double down on the next one. Right. So just do mm-hmm. twice as good on the next one. So if you're losing a hundred a month in cash flow, what I did is I went out and bought a, I think it was a fourplex that made like eight hundred a month in cash flow. Well, great. Now I'm only down seven hundred. You don't have to show off. Well, you know, I mean, like it's like the it's the lessons you learn in the early yeah. ones, double down and just do a better deal. Now I'm no I'm no longer losing a hundred a month and now up seven hundred or whatever, you know. So that's just another way to look at it is, you know, use your failures as incentive and as uh, motivation to do better next time. So which which like Jonna it. which Jonna did here and, and exactly you know so so now we're we're out of that you know out of that loser and and now we're picking winners. So tell us about the the next phases here. What what was what was the strategy? Well, it didn't come quickly. I had some stops and starts and got scared and stopped and then almost started again. Stopped and it did take me. 
it was a good six months before we owned a next property after we sold that one. Um, I have to do a 1031 exchange or anything like that. So that was simple. We weren't under a deadline, but it was it was scary to take that first step because I had messed up in the past, so to speak. Yep. And uh, I did a lot of searching, a lot of searching, um, got as far as getting some offers on some properties. But uh, finally, that one appeared about six months later. Okay. So- so, so the path at this point was we want to buy and hold, correct? Con- yes. Okay. And had you guys set a criteria? I mean, what was what was the process for you? Right. You know, we I, I don't think we talk enough about kind of the build up. You, you know, we talk about paralysis analysis, but in terms of planning, was there any planning? Well, for whatever reason, we were always strategic about wanting to find something that we would feel comfortable living in ourselves. So we were definitely looking for higher end. I I felt comfortable with people, but I wanted to be working with clientele that I was comfortable with and showing the homes alone and all that goes with that. So um, the other criteria was being close to where we live now, which was within like a five mile radius. Okay. So we tightened our, our search up considerably and we wanted a single family home. Gotcha. Gotcha. So single family within five miles. What kind of what kind of some, price range were these in? Like what were what, I don't even know your area. Like what do you, what's your area look like? Yeah, nice middle class. Well, that's so subjective. Middle class, yeah. <laughs> but uh, under two hundred thousand. Okay, between one hundred and fifty and two hundred thousand. And that's Boise because you know some neighbor. <laughs> you know, if you're in San Francisco, right, right. Yeah, two hundred thousand gets you like a four by four. You know. Jail cell. <laughs> so, and, uh, and we know the area so well. In fact, I used to teach school in the area, and those types of things are really important. And I like being able to be proud of what we're showing and feel good about what we're offering potential tenants. Well, nice. I, and I think that's important, right? Because we have some rental properties that I don't want my wife, I, not that I don't let her, but I, I don't want her and she doesn't want to go and show uh, by herself. And I'm, not, I'm sure. not, I don't like that. I mean, it bothers me that I have to go show a unit because I don't trust the neighborhood to be nice to my wife, you know, like it's, there's only a few that right. are like that, but I don't like that. And, uh, yeah. So I, and I, I walked away from some really good deal. I didn't mean yep. to no, interrupt, but I walked away for some really good deals. And looking back, I thought I could have done something with that property as far as a flip or something, but it was just that, that lack of comfort that made yep. us stick with what we were planning on. Yep. Well, I, I think that's smart. You know, we don't talk a lot about safety, but I know we've had a bunch of articles over the years on the site about, just being smart and being safe as an investor. And, and I know you're an agent as well. And, and I know that's something that right. um, agents tend to talk about a little bit more than investors. And I, I think you know, we, we probably should cover the topic a little bit more. It really is important. I mean, there, there are some bad and crazy people out there and bad things happen to folks. And, and you know, if you feel uncomfortable, wh- why do it? You know, why put yourself in a position where, you're, where you don't feel safe uh, just to just to make some cash, I I don't believe that that's a great idea. Now, granted, you know, not everybody, you know, I may feel completely safe in that neighborhood. So again, it's a subjective thing. Yep. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I do say appreciation. You know, I know that we are not to invest for appreciation, so to speak, but it does play into it because these are areas that where there's a lot of growth in our community where we're investing and the potential is there. So that's part of the factor as well. Yep. And I, and I think, I mean, that's an interesting topic is the idea of do we sure. invest for appreciation versus cash flow? And for those people who don't know what we're talking about is obviously cash flow is the monthly income that comes in. Appreciation is hoping that prices go up in value. And that's why we say we don't invest for appreciation. At least most investors right. don't. Yeah. But it is a really nice thing. If you can invest hoping to get appreciation, nothing wrong with that. Right. 
And and that's what you're doing. You're buying nice houses in nice areas that hopefully will go up in value. And that's where, I mean, that's where a lot of wealth is actually built is in the appreciation more than just the cash flow. So that's cool. Right. I, I think it's a combination for us. Yep. Um, so let's talk about big picture real quick, kind of step back and say, yeah. what is the, I mean, you're buying single family houses, is that correct? Not multifamilies? That is correct. I do do have a condo and a townhome, but okay, for yeah. the most part, yes, single residences, no, no multifamily. All right. So what are you doing with these? I mean, are, is it, uh, you're just buying them indefinitely, you'll hold them for the next 50 years, or do you have a plan to trade up or what are you doing? How is this going to accomplish your goals? Well, I think that's part of the reason that we're moving so slowly is because we're being very methodical and every property we're buying, I do have the intent of holding indefinitely at this point okay, okay. or at least, you know, in the foreseeable future. And did you gotcha. plan on living off the cash flow then eventually? Is that, is that the goal? Pay them off, live off the cash flow or is it live off the cash flow now yeah. enough to quit your jobs nope. and retire? That's a great, that's a great question. No, this is a retirement. So okay. this is uh, you know, I'm, I can understand real estate more than the stock market. That's the way I, yeah. <laughs> I like to put it. And it's something tangible that I can touch and that I can have impact on. So think of it instead of, you know, funneling money all into the stock market. It's a way that we've chosen to invest for retirement. And at one point they will be paid off. And yes, that cash flow will be, uh, will come in handy. You know, it's funny when I'm talking to people who are thinking about real estate investing, that, that's usually how I kind of explain it to them. You know, I, I ask about stocks and reading balance sheets and, and yeah, examining companies and how they're doing. And, and, you know, most people that you talk to probably own some stocks. And if you ask them right. if they can tell you how the companies are doing and to tell you what's been going on, they can say, yeah, Apple's great because it's, you know, got these cool products. But, you know, what are the numbers? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the average guy really is incapable of reading a balance sheet is incapable of examining. And, you know, stocks and bonds, they're complicated. There's a lot going on in the, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. Real estate is, is fairly simple in comparison. And the average guy can really figure out the numbers fairly easily. There's just a little bit more work involved most of the time. Exactly. Exactly. I liken it to, you know, you've got $30,000 to put down on a $150,000 house. You take that $30,000 investment, put it in 30 years later, even if you don't have, if you have zero appreciation, you've got $150,000 asset plus um, cash flow in perpetuity. So to me, it's kind of a no brainer. So at very least your tenants are paying your mortgage for you and... At the very, very least, right. Hopefully you have cash flow on top of that. Yeah. Hopefully we have a lot more, but... Yeah. So that's a nice, that's the nice thing about real estate, right? Is there's so many avenues in which it's cool, right? Right. There's like the appreciation, there's the cash flow, there's the taxes, there's the loan pay down, there's all those things combined. And the more you can get in one deal, the better you can do generally speaking. So we hope to get the most of those. And once you start actually cash flowing, it's fun. (laughs) It's addicting. Well, so speaking of cash flow, what, I mean, what do you typically look for in a a deal? Are you shooting for, you know, a certain amount per unit or, or per building or what do you look for? It's pretty straightforward. If we can clear a good $300 a month after all expenses, then I'm liking the deal. Okay. So it's a very simple criteria. I just break it down as simply as that. And these these low interest rates the last few years have been very helpful in that regard. Yeah. And uh, getting us in and great low payments. And um, and rents, are, rents have been going up in the meantime. So it's working out for us. That said, you know, you're asking if we're living on cash flow. Absolutely not. Every bit of cash flow right now is currently being reinvested. 
Okay. To I was actually, to get that was my next question. Yeah, I was going to wonder oh, what you're funny. doing with the cash flow. Yeah, because so <laughs> not spending it. Yeah, so you're not. Are you paying off the properties then when you say reinvesting? Or are you actually saving up for a down payment for the next property? Yes, it, you know it, it's been up until recently. It's been reserves okay. for each property. As you know, you know as you get more and more properties, the lenders want more and more reserves yeah. shown for every every property. So that's been a uh, work in progress. And then yes, it will go toward future properties. Okay, at this point. Right on, right on. So, is your is your plan then? But, but because again, this is another thing that I, I don't think we've touched in in this is show eighty in eighty shows. Uh, you've got this cash flow, you got this money coming in. The first plan was to put it into reserves, build up you know cash to have in an account in case something went wrong, right? In case you and for the lenders, for right. lenders, you need six months. Uh, as you know, principal insurance taxes. But beyond the lenders, I mean, you know, yeah. your your roof falls apart in in six right. months if you don't have cash, you're in trouble. So, you know, building up those reserves is is certainly important. So, is it is your strategy build up reserves for that next property or the property you're in or the I guess the next property until you're at a point where I guess the lenders feel comfortable and then build up the down payment to acquire that next property. And once you've got the down payment, you've already got the reserves, you're all good and you jump in. You got it. Yep, okay. that's the plan. And I think that's a good strategy for anyone listening and wondering, hey, what do I do? You know, I've got a little bit of cash, you know, maybe enough to pick up the first, but I don't quite know how to go about raising money for the next one. I, I think that's a, a great way to go if that's what you want to do. So how, how are you financing these? Are you, are you past, how, how many properties, I guess, do you have at this point? We've we've got a couple of handfuls. Um, okay, and it's up until this point, it's been traditional financing, working with smaller banks and uh, credit union. Okay, okay, cool. And, and are those? You, oh, I was gonna go ahead. I was gonna <laughs> say, are those portfolio lenders or are those? You know, are they requiring twenty percent down? Is that typically what what you're doing on these? Actually, the twenty five percent down once you get past four properties, in my experience, and we're starting to look into the idea of portfolio lending at this point. We haven't had to utilize that yet. Okay. Okay. But um, I'm I'm gathering resources for how that works. Nice. Well, for those people who don't know, portfolio lender is a lender. Uh, so. Real, let me just explain it real quick for everyone. Um, a, a normal lender, like a normal bank, will sell their loans up to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, these big government pseudo institutions, right? So they sell their loans up. And so because of that, the lender has to fit every borrower into this box, this perfect box. They have to be exactly this this debt to income, this loan, you know, whatever down payment. A portfolio lender doesn't sell their loans up to, or at least some of their loans, they don't sell them to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. They keep them on their books, which means they can be more flexible. They don't have to fit you know, you into a square box. They can fit a round peg, which most investors are a little bit of a round peg, into that square box. That is what a portfolio lender is, for those people who don't know. And you can find them. Uh, Arthur Garcia talked about that in show six. If you haven't listened to biggerpockets.com slash show six yet, do it. It's probably our funniest show we've ever done. He talked a lot about how to find them. So listen to that. But uh, really, every community... Uh, has them. You just got to make a lot of phone calls. So anyway, aside, I just wanted to explain that. Yeah. Cool. I brought up some great, great topics. Dean, I think those were really helpful to me. Just the fact that lenders, they want your business. So yeah. ask for it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm working through a couple of different portfolio lenders right now and they can be great. So, um, yeah, I was, I was curious cause they, they stop you. A lot of lenders will stop you at four and then some lenders right. will let you go up to like 10 or whatever it is. Um, and after that it gets even more difficult uh, and that sounds like where you're at right now. And so you talked about finding a portfolio, correct? Right. Yes. And and some of the, I know one credit union in particular I'm working with does those. And so 
I'm talking with them right now about how that works. But for our experience, credit unions have been a great way to go, especially going up to 10. Okay, cool. Um, are you, are you managing all your properties yourself? I am. Okay. So you take care of all the phone calls and stress and drama? I do. We actually made some changes this last year so that we can scale up and created a little property management company okay. uh, j- just for our for the portfolio. Um, I'm not managing other people's properties. Gotcha. And it's working out really well, just simplifying and um, getting everything squared away as far as uh, keeping track of through QuickBooks and really systemizing so that we can scale and not feel overwhelmed. But I actually enjoy the the management. Yeah. Well, so let, let me harp on this a, a minute. This is something you're doing that is awesome that I don't think we've really spent a lot of time on. Uh, and it's something, wh- one of my biggest mistakes, I mean, really hands down, probably my biggest mistake when I started out re- real estate investing was not planning for property management. So when I took over, I thought, well, I can, you know, I can manage myself. I'm a young guy. I can handle doing everything myself. So I started with the beginning and there's nothing wrong with managing your own properties, but it's the idea of, you can't scale indefinitely or you can't scale very big if that's your only plan. So the fact that you are conscious of that right now and you're saying, look, I want to scale this business, so let's figure out how to do that. I think that's so important to do early on is to sit down and say, how do we, you know, and the way you're doing it is by creating your own kind of in-house property management. And that's what me and my wife are doing as well. Finally, now after years, you know, we're trying to try <laughs> to make that scalable. Yeah, otherwise it's tough, right? You want to switch over your property management and then you can't because you don't have the cash flow and you don't have the system in place. So anyway, I commend you for that. That's awesome. Well, what oh, was it's it? a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> well, so did you decide to do that because there wasn't an appropriate property manager in town? Or why did you guys choose to do it? Was it because you thought you'd hold on to more cash by managing yourself? What what was the decision to self-manage? Good question. Um you know, it just came, we've kind of grown so slowly. It just kind of has come along organically that I would just manage. And I will talk about this, but I, I changed careers a little bit a year or so ago and became a realtor. So I've got the flexibility that allows me to do so. So they haven't had the big discussion. We haven't had the big discussion on whether or not we're going to hire someone because we're just pretty comfortable doing it ourselves at this point. Gotcha. Although there are some great companies in town and that might change at some point when we are empty nesters and want to travel more. Right on, right on. And in terms of self-management, are there any things that you found to be particular headaches uh, or any tools that you've put into place to help you manage the properties beyond QuickBooks? Oh, yeah. And BP has been so helpful for that. I've learned so much in the last few years. It's been incredible. And uh, just having all the forms in place, having strict criteria for the applications, knowing exactly what my rental requirements are, putting them in writing so I don't have to backpedal and explain why someone isn't going to qualify for a property. And just having the procedures in place and putting them in writing and and making sure that we can follow through with everything that we told our tenants that we're going to do. Yeah. Right on. So train, training your tenants and you know following up when you have things that don't go exactly as they should. Right. Yeah. Right do, on. Do you have any crazy? I mean, like, do you have crazy tenants, or because you have nicer properties, are they all you know real good tenants? Do you not have drama? I. I <laughs> Come on, we here. all have drama. Come on. <laughs> little bit of drama here and there. Actually, the most drama I ever had was in that primary home rental that I told you about that we sold. And we had a little bit, we had some problems with late rents there and pets that weren't supposed to be living there, but um, never had a, an eviction cool. and uh, had very good experiences. I, I really have a lot of respect for our tenants and they're good people and hopefully the feeling's mutual. 
So, so what do we do when we have a tenant that brings a pet in or a, a human in that doesn't belong? Well, it helps if you're not in a desperate situation. You know, that, that was the rental property I talked about where we really needed that payment every month. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, there probably would have been an eviction there if, if I knew then what I know now. Okay. Um, at that time, it went largely ignored, but it would not be that way today. Gotcha. So, so what would you say if you're talking to, you know, your, your, uh, your hairdresser and she says, Hey, listen, Jonna, I've got this rental property and somebody's coming in here. I, you know, and they're like, well, no, but it's, I'm in a desperate situation and it's horrible. You know, that, that's hard, right? You're in a really tough bind and you want to throw somebody out. How do you, how does somebody overcome that? As how an experience, actually, well, as your experience, right? You're saying, Back then, you didn't want to do it because you knew you were in a really tough spot and you were desperate and you didn't want to get rid of them. But now looking back, you're like, oh, I definitely would have if I had the experience. So how do you overcome what was stopping you back then beyond the, beyond the knowledge that it's probably a bad idea to hold on to somebody who's violating your lease in some way, shape or form? Right. Well, you just got to remember it's a business. <laughs> it's a business and that, that violation is potentially affecting, there's so many factors involved, but it could really hurt your bottom line and you need to look at it as a business and look at the potential for a good renter down the road in your property. And and we love, like everyone, I believe, but we love those long-term renters. So, yeah. you know, that that's the I guess backtracking, that's the biggest thing that I could I could emphasize is is look for that long-term yeah. happy tenant. Are you are you doing um, in in terms of long term? Are you doing two year leases or anything beyond a year, or or as long term a year, uh, a year lease? You know, I have just in the last year started implementing eighteen or twenty four month leases, depending on when the leases come up. Because of course, you'd like your leases to end in uh, summertime, and that's working out really well. And a couple of times, I've offered like a twenty to twenty five dollar incentive monthly if they sign eighteen to two year lease. And that's worked out really well. People seem to like that. Interesting. So why do you, why do you say we want, like, why as a landlord do we want summertime our uh, units to go vacant? Why is that? Well, I think most likely applies more to all of us that experience snow in wintertime, <laughs> but that's just when people move. And, and a lot of our single family homes happen to attract families. And uh, that's when a majority of people are making a move. In Boise, too, we're experiencing a really large influx of -of out-of-staters coming in again from other states. And the phone calls really pick up both for real estate and for wanting to find places to rent. And they're all coming in in the June-July timeframe, it seems. Do do you think any of that has to do with the the oil boom up up in the uh, northern states? Or or is that just, you know, Boise suddenly attractive despite uh, everything that has to do with Boise. Not that I have any bad things to say about Boise because I've been, I was there once and I liked it. It was all right. Boise is great. It, you know, Californians, there's, there are so many and we love you. I was born in California. Um, nice. but, uh, it is a lot. I think, you know, with the rise in property values across the country, particularly in the West coast, there's a lot of, um, uptick in people getting out and, and moving up to Idaho a lot for a lifestyle choice as well. Interesting. Gotcha. Gotcha. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. So what, what do you think is the biggest challenge in being a landlord? Hmm. Doing things when it's not convenient to do them. You know, when you're just settled in for a, a date night or a, a family movie or out with friends and you get that, that phone call you don't want to get. And uh, it's just it, you just got to remember it's short term. Short-term pain for a long-term reward and keep your eye on the goal. And you do realize that having a property manager would alleviate lots of that. (laughs) I'm just just saying, you know, that is not you. You are the property manager. It is the property. Yes, it is. And and that said, I am trying to be more concerted in outlining uh, business hours and so forth. But there definitely are those calls that still come in late Friday evening. Yeah, that's and that's a great thing. So let's talk about that. You're you're outlining business hours. Well, what do I do? I'm I'm your tenant, and my shower is not working appropriately, or you know my my toaster oven is too toasty. How you know? And I'm calling you at nine o'clock at night, and I want an answer, and I'm not going to stop until I get one. Well, I pretty you know I discern what an emergency is, and that is really outlined in our lease as well. An emergency is fire, flood you know, water running everywhere. And if it's not an emergency, usually it can be taken care of the next business day. There you have it. 
That's, I mean, I think that's, that's perfect. That's what landlords probably need to know is, you know, especially those that self-manage, it's not an emergency unless it's an emergency and, and your lease really should spell out exactly what that is. And it may be different for you. I mean, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, I, I can't come up with some scenario, but, but, you know, maybe some people have a better leniency on things, but I'm, I'm guessing fire and flooding is probably not one of them. Yeah. So. No. Yeah, and it, it may work the first when you're a new landlord, the first one or two properties. But once you start to scale and you're getting the multiple phone calls, you learn to um, outline those. Hey, that where I'm available. Just, you know, what's funny is just when you said that about the emergency thing, I thought uh, my wife and I have been well, my wife has been putting together what uh, what's called like a rent talk the last few days. Um, this came the concept came from Mike Butler's book Landlord and an Autopilot. But basically, love was, that book. Yeah, love that book. Isn't that great? So Landlord and an Autopilot by Mike Butler. In that book, he mentions sitting down with your tenants when they move in with a what he calls a rent talk. It's just like a, a flip through like book that you create of here's like the 20 most important things. It's like a slideshow, right? But on the hood of a car, you're just showing them the stuff. Anyway, so I just sent my wife a message and just said on Skype here that said uh, for rent talk, what is an emergency? Because that is so important, right? Like if you can go over that at the beginning of the lease and say, look, here's what an emergency is. I mean, because the lease is like, I mean, my lease is 25, 30 pages long, like with all the addendums wow. and everything. Yeah, it's crazy. There's so much in there. I mean, because like the lease itself is four pages, but then there's so much like extra stuff and then the, the, all the state forms and all the federal forms and all that. So everything gets, I mean, tenants have no idea what they're signing 10 minutes after they sign it, I feel like, even though we go over it. So anyway, the rent talk is like, here's the most important thing. So that's what we're going to add now, just because you said that. What is an emergency? I'm going to add that to the rent talk. Nice. Excellent. There you go. There you go. Hey, so I asked you about, uh, you know, the challenges. What about the greatest part of being a landlord? What's, you know, what what do you like best? Well, I truly like forming the relationships, just being able to serve the tenants, make sure that they're happy, provide them a safe, comfortable, cheerful place to live. And I like the business aspect of it. You're very much a small business owner when you're a landlord and or just an investor in general and growing your business and forming your business model and discussing it, planning, goal setting. If you're involved with your spouse, it's it's really fun for us anyway. It kind of took something that was a hobby, which is loving houses and turned it into a a big part of our investment strategy. And it's rewarding. That's cool. That's That's great. All right. So. Uh, you talked about this transition to becoming an agent. Why on earth would you decide to become an agent? Not that there's anything wrong with it to all those agents that are listening. Well, just, you know, just asking. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You played a part in this, Josh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No! You did. I'm yes. not guilty. It was the Bigger Pocket Summit in 2012 ah. in your hometown. Yes. And I was sitting in a seminar, and I believe the speaker was Jeff Brown. Jeff Brown, Jeffy. Jeff, call out to Jeff. <laughs> the ball guy. And he, he, I was really inspired by his talk, and he was talking about Boise, Idaho, and the future of Boise, Idaho. And he said, if you all don't know Boise, Idaho now, you will. And he was a big believer in our market, at least from the stage that day. And I, everyone was writing down Boise, Idaho, Boise, Idaho. And I looked around, and I didn't find another attendee from Boise, Idaho. Nice. And wheels just started clicking along the same time, I had some family members that we lost to cancer in the last year or two. And it was just that life change kind of 
time that comes around in your life a few times if you know if you change careers and start thinking about why you want to do something different and at the time I was teaching school which was wonderful and rewarding in its own right but I am very entrepreneurial and really like working for myself and those two things kind of came together both of them in 2012 gotcha. and I pursued my license wow 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 so so first off, you could blame Jeff Brown on Boise, Idaho. Don't blame me. Um, <laughs> but but uh, okay, <laughs> and I, I am sorry about your your loss uh, as well. Oh, thanks. Uh, but but uh, I, I'm glad that we inspired uh, this move here. So you've got your license. What was the goal? What are we going to do with the license? Are are we getting a license to get you know to not pay commissions on? You know, the sale of a property, are we getting a license because we want to service other folks as investors or just traditional consumers? What was what was the idea? Uh, it's a combination. Um, I will say I wasn't so much to get my own deals, although that's really helpful. But I've worked with a great agent for years that's been very helpful with our other acquisitions. Yeah. And I had quite a bit of service with that. But mainly, you know, it was, I can only do so much. And as our property management grew and our kids grow and their involvement in sports and that sort of thing, I wanted something with flexibility. And I'm utilizing real estate commissions in a way that some people might wholesale or flip to earn extra cash as a day job to further fund our, our mission. I think it's a great idea. I really do. You know, especially because your primary focus is investing now. You know, you're so familiar on the day-to-day basis of what's going on in, in a given market, and that's really the job of the agent. And that's actually what confuses me, to be honest. You know, as I mentioned earlier about this whole thing with agents, yeah, we we uh, we, we wrote this ultimate guide, ultimate agent's guide to working with investors. Yes, um, I love it. And we'll link to it in in the show notes. And you know, hopefully, we've got a lot of agents listening to the show right now because most agents don't really understand a few things. One, investing isn't that tough, and you too, as an agent, can start doing it. And two, as an agent, an investor client is the best kind of client you could possibly want to have. You know, a lot, a lot of them shy away and say, well, you know, investors throw all these lowball offers out and, you know, they're scummy and, you know, there's all this bad juju around investors. But what the secret is, and, you know, here's the billion dollar 97 cent secret that the gurus won't tell you, so to speak, um, they're the an investor client, you get one good investor client, they do five, 10, 20 deals, 50 exactly. deals a year. You don't have to market, you don't have to sell, you don't have to promote. You, you form a relationship and you're there for them and you're doing the work and you got those commissions coming in and it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. You got it. That's what I'm definitely finding to be true. And yeah. I love it because I'm in my wheelhouse and yeah. I love working with people that can see beyond a pink wall or yeah. you know, an outdated water heater and, and we move on and we make a great deal and, and it's a win-win. So yeah. what are your, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, I'd go crazy if I was showing, like, I'm not an agent, but if I was, I'd go crazy showing somebody who's like, you know, I just don't like this house, this bathroom, this wallpaper. Uh-uh. I'd be like, just fix the wallpaper. You're like, that's how my mind works. Right? And I'm like, yeah. Stop being stupid. And like, what a you know, hit them upside the head, but and there are fabulous I, realtors that fill that yep, niche. There's plenty yes, of, there are. <laughs> plenty of wonderful realtors that will work with a retail buyer. Yeah, yeah. wouldn't be me. Well, well, I had two rounds as an agent working with retail buyers, and and that didn't last long. <laughs> so, so how how did somebody find you? I mean, how do I as a as a uh, 
as a investor, find an investor-friendly agent like yourself? Well, I a lot of my clients to date have been found through Bigger Pockets, so I would suggest getting on Bigger Pockets, tapping into your local market there, and and looking there first. At least at, at very at the very least, if there isn't anyone that jumps on that is actively involved on Bigger Pockets, so you're going to get some referrals. I've even utilized that for resources when I need referrals for other markets for potential clients that are looking in other markets, and BP's been just a wonderful resource that way. You know, if I could if I could jump in. And just say it like, I mean, here's something that I know a number of agents do, and I think you do it as well. And it's so smart. It's so smart. So what they do is they set up keyword alerts, which you can do for free at biggerpockets.com slash alerts, put in your city name in there. So you might put in Boise or Seattle or whatever. And then when a new member joins the site and they say, hey, I'm brand new here, I'm from Seattle or I'm from Boise, you as an agent get this email notification in your inbox or on your phone if you're a pro member. And uh, you can be the first one to welcome them. You're not pitching them. You're not trying to, you know, whatever. It's just, hey, welcome. You know, I'm glad to have you here. I live in the area, you know, you know, whatever. It's just, it's networking, right? But you become the first person that they see. Like, I don't understand why uh, there isn't a million real estate agents with on bigger pockets with keyword alerts set up because it's probably like the cheapest, best marketing I think a person could do. So if you're an agent, as long as, long yeah. as they're not, you know, as long as they're not being scummy weird. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, It's about building relationships. But if you can get in there and just greet people and, and start building relationships, it's like the coolest feature ever. So um, and actually speaking of that, might as well say this. Uh, we just introduced a couple of days ago. Keyword alerts. I mentioned those. Uh, you can now have like multiple keyword alerts, um, like a combination of words. So you could do like flipping and Seattle. So you'll only be notified when the words flipping and Seattle are both both used in a forum post. So that's a brand new addition, and we're going to have negative keyword alerts as well. So, for example, which is I'm I'm excited about, I can have a keyword alert for Washington, but not for DC. That way, when oh. people will say Washington, D.C., I don't want to know about Washington, D.C. I only want to know about Washington State. So anyway, that's coming in the next uh, week, hopefully, or two anyway. Um, so keep an eye out for that. So anyway, enough. That's BiggerPockets cool. Alerts. Again, BiggerPockets.com slash alerts. So um, getting back to the agent thing, if I am a, I mean, Josh kind of touched on this, but I want to know a little bit more of, I mean, I'm just getting started. Let's say I'm brand new to real estate. I'm really excited. I want to get started. I mean, what what makes you as an agent want to work with me? Because, I mean, there are so many right wannabes that are coming out of a, the Guru Festival and they're all pumped up and they want to start throwing in a million offers. Like, why would you want to work with me as an agent? What, what would make me appeal to you? That's an awesome question, by the way. Oh, thank you. I'm it a, is. I'm an awesome it person. It is. <laughs> nah. I would, <laughs> what I need you to do is be specific on okay. what you're after. And, and I'm happy to guide and to provide feedback, but you need to know what your strategy is going to be, or at least have an idea in mind, whether you're going to go multifamily, single family, um, what you're qualified for as far as financing and how you're going to finance that property. And, and, uh, then we can get to work. But I do get a lot of email correspondence and even through BP just saying, Hey, I need a deal. What do you have for me? Yep. And that's great. Um, I am I am busy as well, and I just I need something a little bit more to go on to point you in the right direction. I think that's great, and I, I think that's probably the challenge that the uh, the agents all face. The challenge is they don't want to deal with tire kickers as yep. as they're called. They don't want to waste their time with time wasters, and so. First off, the responsibility of an investor is to be prepared and is to know what you want. Uh, so if you're coming off a seminar or a class or whatever the heck it is, and you're just like, hey, I want to make money in real estate, you know, you don't have time for that. No agent's going to have time for that. You need to dig in 
figure out what your criteria are, where you want to invest, what exactly you want, what you need. And then if you approach an agent, go in with that specific set of information, you're going to increase the likelihood that they're going to want to work with you. Uh, on, the, on the other side, as an agent, obviously, you need to be vocal a, about that to, to potential clients. You know, I'm not going to take anyone, I'm not going to show you 17 properties until you know exactly what you want. I'm not going to show you one property until you know you, what, what you want. But I think the key there on the agent side is also the education. You know, uh, the agent has to be educated and has to understand the basics, the absolute basics of real estate investing. And if you don't understand the basics of real estate investing, you have no business whatsoever in showing income properties of any sort to, to investors because you're the, the one who's going to be responsible for putting people into bad properties. And ultimately, I, I actually do hold agents responsible for that because I think you, know, <laughs> you, have, uh, you have a lot of people who come out that are uneducated uh, in, in how things work and what cash flow is and the basics. And if they come in and they go to an agent that doesn't know what they're doing, an agent helps them to buy a property they're really not acting in the best interest of that client. So what I recommend, two things. One, for, for the agents listening, our ultimate beginner's guide, it's free. It's biggerpockets.com slash UBG. We'll link to it in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 80. And it's literally the basics of real estate investing. Uh, it's, it's an amazing guide. And two, the, the agent's guide that I mentioned earlier, again, it talks about what the investor mindset is, what they're looking for, talks about the formulas, the basic math, the stuff that you really just need to know. There's not a lot. It's probably a couple hours of, of reading and you're, you're pretty good. Uh, so uh, that, yeah, that's incredible resources yeah. out there. Yeah. And so, you know, hopefully anyone and everyone listening, you know, you guys are sharing these resources with your agents. And if you don't have an agent and you're looking for one, uh, you know, spread the word on this stuff because these, these resources really are very, very good and, and can help educate and, and train agents to, to become better agents for you as investors. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So where are you finding your properties? Is everything on the MLS? Um. A couple have been happenstance through through friends, a couple of deals, investor friends, and things that didn't quite meet their criteria. But other than that, yes, they were all through the MLS and in different circumstances, a couple of foreclosures, short sales. Um, my first property we purchased and turned around and purchased in 2011 was actually a new build from, I think, 2007, 2008. They built just after the market started to crash rented it out for a few years. The renters kind of trashed the property and the they just wanted out. The original people that had built the spec just wanted out. And so it was a traditional, very quick sale. Okay. And so it's just been a variety. Gotcha. Okay. All right. That's cool. Um, so when you look at a property, what kind of metrics do you use to evaluate it? You already said earlier you want the $300 cash flow, but is there anything else? I mean, do you like try to figure out your return, you know, your ROI or your IRR, any of those things you'd work through those? I do. It, it's more of an art than a science, you know, maybe just because my mind doesn't quite work in that way. <laughs> my hu- my husband is extremely um, good at that. And so we, although I'm the one actively involved in our business, we work through all those numbers together. And I, Smart. we don't sign off in anything unless we're in agreement on whether the numbers work and if it fits our criteria, because it's easy to get kind of shiny object syndrome and go, oh, what about this? This is you know, great over here, but it may not quite fit what we're looking for. So we need to talk that through. 
You know, that's a tip right there that I just want to emphasize that you just said it is amazing. It's great, right? So if you always run through your numbers with somebody else, like you're always going to have an, another person, whether it's a, spa, a spouse like you have. Which spouse. You want, a spouse. Uh, a spouse or if you have a business partner or if you've got a mentor, like, you know, some local investor you can get together with, whatever that is, like that is so powerful because like you said, it helps you avoid the shiny object syndrome and jumping on the bandwagon because you heard it on a podcast or whatever. You know, it helps you stay grounded in knowing what you're doing and is doing is right. So very cool. And on the flip side of that, trust the numbers. In the mm-hmm. very beginning when we got started, there were some deals we walked away from in 2011. Looking back, we, we should have jumped on. And yeah. we all have those stories. But we, the numbers were there. But it, we, we let fear get in the way of moving too quickly at that time. So I would say trust the numbers on the flip side too. And if it's a good deal, don't be afraid to act yep. if it fits your criteria. That's cool. Well, um, last thing before we head to the fire round, I just want to throw out there. We ah. mentioned <laughs> we mentioned that we were doing uh, webinars on Bigger Pockets now. So if you guys want to come to a webinar, I'm doing one uh, this Thursday. Usually every Thursday I try to do one, but uh, I'm going basically the whole webinar is on how to find properties, how to analyze properties, and how to finance properties, uh, whether you've got millions of dollars or no money at all. So if you guys want to come to the webinar, just go to biggerpockets.com forward slash webinar, and you can sign up for Sweet. the newest webinar. So yeah, people can check that out. I'll probably mention that. You know, in every show now. But anyway, yeah, check it out. You can come to my webinar. I can show you how I analyze properties. So actually, last question before we go to the fire round. What does your future look like? If you crystal ball, like where, where do you see yourself? Is this just every year you're going to buy another property or two forever? Um, what do you think your future looks like? We're on the two to three property a year track at this point. Um, future looks like I've got kids that are sixth grade and eighth grade, get them through school, get their college funded. And at that point, um, that's when I think about maybe turning over to a property management company and uh, traveling a little bit more. We love to travel. Uh, but future definitely lies in, in real estate as far as a career for, for me. Cool. Fantastic. Fantastic. Cool. Well, let's move on to... It's time for the fire round. All right. These questions come straight off the Bigger Pockets forums that you can get to at biggerpockets.com slash forums. And this is where uh, we're going to throw some questions at you and and I know you'll do fine. All Curveballs. Right. This, yeah, here we go. This is the only part I've been thinking about. Okay. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number one, do you think off-market deals versus on-market deals makes much of a difference? And first of all, how would you explain it? Maybe you can, if you want to try to clarify, what does that even mean? What is an on-market versus off-market deal? An on-market deal, in my perspective as a realtor, would be something that's on the MLS. And an off-market is something perhaps is found um, either by marketing to sellers directly or working with a wholesaler to pick up a deal. Okay. Yeah, should you focus on one or another? Does it not really matter? Starting out, I would probably concentrate my efforts in one way or the other, at least to find that first deal because there's so many different directions to go. And I am a proponent that there's always some sort of deal on the MLS. They're not all gone. They might be a little harder to find than they were three, four years ago. But but they're there, particularly working with an aggressive realtor that knows what deals look for. Great. Nice. Nice. All right. Here's a good one. Is there ever a time? You ready? You ready oh, for gosh. This? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> Is there ever a time that you would rent to friends and family? Now, keep in mind... <laughs> That we've called all your friends and family <laughs> and told them to listen. <laughs> so you're on the spot right now. <laughs> uh, sure. That is a tricky question. <laughs> In the right circumstances, yes. 
in the right circumstances. But it, again, it needs to be outlined with everything in writing and make it consistent with the other rentals. Gotcha. That's, I think that's a, a very good answer. I personally would never. Uh, however, <laughs> if forced to at gunpoint, I, I would require a, a full written lease that filled up every criteria that I would require with any outsider as well. And probably would have like six or seven additional addenda uh, you know, requiring non-disclosure to the family and, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of fun things because, you with, know. With that said, I would not borrow from, personally, I, I'm not going to borrow from friends or family. Okay. Yeah. Or no. vice versa. So Josh, fire on yes. question for you. Your, yes, sir. Your close family member, let's say your brother or, you know, I don't know, someone really close, their house burns down. Yeah. They have nowhere to go. Yes. Do you rent? Do you rent to them for let's say you know three six three to six months? I would let them. I would. Uh, that's a great question. Jeez, I man. would. I would. <laughs> I if it were my close family, immediate family, uh, I would definitely not do three six months. Not a chance. Uh, <laughs> love you, but no. Uh, you know, I I'd give them. I give them a couple of weeks uh, to transition, but I, I'm not going. You know, no way, man. Come on, I I need my space. That's I can't, funny. I can't, I can't do it. I'd help Hard. out. And Jenna, I, you I would. would, I would help. You know what? <laughs> I would help them find another place, but yeah, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody's throwing eggs at me. This is awful. Yeah. I what feel an terrible. awful person. Well, Jonna would, so we all like her. So, well, you know, it's, it's, help true. Out. it's, it's not true what they say about me. <laughs> Some of it's true. All right. Next question. What is the most important thing every investor needs to check up on? during their due diligence process? Like when they're going to buy a property, what's probably the most important thing to make sure they check up on? So one thing that I would encourage every investor to do is to really know the surroundings of the property you're going to buy. Case in point, I once owned a property where they tried to put a huge natural gas-fired power plant in the backyard. Uh And if I were in escrow on that property, I would definitely want to know about it ahead of time before closing. Yep. It's kind of outside the box, but that's something I think about. Yeah, I don't want one of those in my backyard. (laughs) I didn't either. I'm just saying. Hey, well, while we're on it, maybe I can maybe I can ask how would how do you find how does a new investor find out about those things that are going Great question. on? Do you have any good tips for finding out that, you know, there's a power plant going in the backyard? You know, it's always good to talk to neighbors. Mm-hmm. That's good. a a big point. Um talk to the HOA if there is one involved. I like to ask if there's any drama going on, anything I need to know about related to the HOA and things that are impacting them and usually the property manager that manages that HOA will will start talking. Um, calling the city or the county is a great resource and talking to planning and going as far as look at the comprehensive plan. In some instances, it depends what's developing around you. But if you've got open fields, open area, it's always good to know. Okay. I think that's a, it's probably one of the better tips that we've also had, uh, yeah. you know, research the property you're buying. Yeah. You know, I, I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. If, if you're not aware of what's going to be happening in around the area in the next, you know, five, 10, 20 years, you, you need to know it be, because you, you're not going to predict everything. But at least if you have kind of an idea of the master plan of what's happening in and around where you're at, you can plan for it. Uh, if you're not aware and ignorant of it, well, you can find yourself in a situation that you weren't prepared for. And, and that's, uh, that's never good. Well, so n- next question, do your tenants pay for their own water, sewer, garbage, electricity? Why or why not? For the single families, Yes. Okay. Because they, that's the expectation here in Idaho. That's pretty 
pretty um, standard with what a lot of property managers do, and it just keeps it simple. And and a lot of them with single families, you find particularly in the price point that we're in, have been homeowners, and they expect that, and it's not a big deal. Cool. Yep, that works really well, except for when your local uh, utility company or city decides to make landlords force them to pay the water, like one of my local towns does. Yeah, that's just crazy. Oh. so irritating. I just want to time to that. time anyway. to unload some property in that town, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just. I just uh, set up my own little, you know, billing department and I just bill them for it. Nice. Just one more step. Irritating. Anyway, let's move on to the world famous. Famous for. Famous for. I'm not even going to go there. I can't. Oh, come on now, Jonna. You know you've been <laughs> waiting but, for yes. 79 shows to participate in the famous four. Hey, I did a uh, Bigger Pockets meetup in, in May here in Boise and we did. I went around and made everyone do their. Therefore, it was pretty fun. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Nice. And 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 by that, of course, you're talking about you use BP to organize a local meetup in town, correct? Yes. Awesome. Lots of fun. Do it. Yep. Cool. Do it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We encourage that. BP does not sanction these. We don't get behind them. We don't finance them. They're not something that Bigger Pockets puts on. But our our users are all around the country. If you're unaware are putting on local meetups of real estate investors if, if there's not other kinds of meetups in town. And, and it's a great way if, if you don't know investors and you're not aware of groups where you are, use BP to, to you know, put together a, a local get-together of, of uh, investors. It's a, it's a good tool. Yeah. So Cool. All right, Famous, famous Four. four. Uh, number one, what is your favorite real estate book? All right. My favorite real estate book is, I'm going to hold it so I get the name right, Buy and Hold Forever by David Schumacher and Steve Dexter. Great mm. classic points. The a concept of buy and hold. This no, is a new nobody's book. Nobody's ever said that. No, I worked on that, <laughs> but it truly is one of my absolute favorites. Oh, okay. cool. Cool. Yeah, we, right we, we'll, I'll link to that and the next one in the, in the show notes. But uh, So the next one uh, is, what is your favorite business book? Favorite business book is The Art of Nonconformity. Oh, by Chris, uh, Chris Gillibo. Yeah. I love that you know, book. Chris? I, I don't know I him personally, but you know, great book. I did meet him once did here you? for a book signing, but he, he's such a great guy. But the biggest concept that I think relates to real estate in this book is he tells the story about how he figured out he could either buy a brand new SUV or he could travel to every country in the entire world. Yep. And I equated it to, oh, I, we could have a brand new SUV or I could get a rental property. And, uh, <laughs> We we drive old cars, but we have we we invest in rental properties. So yeah. nice, good good book. That's yeah. great, and and I'd, I'm surprised, su- just surprised that you didn't say uh, the four hour work week. And the reason <laughs> I because have read it. <laughs> because I was you know I I was kind of prepping for this podcast as as I mentioned earlier. I had actually traveled last week to San Francisco, and and here's here's a whopper for everybody. I am no longer on page twenty eight of said book. I am now on page one hundred fifty. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, it's a long it, book. Yeah, <laughs> it, you know, it's not quite a full one flight uh, read, but yeah, there's, uh, it's, it's all right. It's all right. I'm, you know, I still have some issue with it, but uh, overall, <laughs> I think it's all right. And and I, I've had two people this week already. Li- literally, people are berating me every week about reading this book. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but like, whether it's on Twitter, on Bigger Pockets, people are like, Josh, when are you going to finish? When are you going to finish? When are you going to finish? So I'm getting closer, guys. All right. I listen to it on audio. That's always an option. Nice, nice. All right, hobbies. You've got uh, you've got a nice family. 
Uh, it sounds like, you know, real estate is this, you know, great focus of yours, but what, what do you do for fun? We travel. We just we did two and a half weeks in Europe in June, bucket nice. list trip with the kids. Um, sports. My son's really football, basketball. My daughter's basketball. And uh, they've gotten me into NFL football watching in the falls. And uh, a, lot, a lot of football, a lot of basketball, and travel when we get the chance. Fabulous. Cool. All right. My final question. Jonna, what do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who fail, give up, never get started, whatever? Working through the fear that comes and the negativity from others. I still at times have had sleepless nights, not sure of a particular deal that I'm working on. Um, but that's that adrenaline too. It's, it, it's, I kind of feed off of it. It's fun. So working through that fear, getting past that first hurdle of that first investment is huge. And then also, you know, just overcome, replace those negative comments from friends and family that some might get with uh, an hour of BP, let's say. That helps a lot. <laughs> there you go. We're, we're, we're the uh, therapy network for wannabe yes. and newbie real estate investors. <laughs> You, you can get on and say, oh, it's my people. They understand. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There That's you go. True. That's great. That's great. Well, Jonna, we, we really, really appreciate you taking the time. Before we let you go, where can people learn more about you? The biggest place right now is through Bigger Pockets. Okay. Look me up on Bigger Pockets, say hi, and we can connect. I am working on a website and some other things, but I'll have those all those links on my BP profile eventually. And we'll point to the profile from the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show eighty. Well, Jonna, thank you so much again. We really, really do appreciate you coming on board and sharing your story and and uh, giving us some some tips and feedback. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the site. My pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thank Thanks. you. All right, guys, that was Jonna Weber as our guest here on Show Eighty of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, simplifying real estate down to its essence: buy and hold investing, keeping it easy nothing too complicated and, and, and really starting to make moves for herself and build up a great portfolio. So we're really excited for Jana as uh, she continues to grow her portfolio. You know, one thing we didn't talk about in the show that I wanted to bring up real quick was, you know, people, I mean, I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, maybe not a huge fan of like Susie Ortman, but just like financial, like those financial people, I just, I like them. I think that they're, um, onto something by people don't need to set aside a lot. Like, uh, uh, what's that one guy, Stephen Bach, I think his name is, Automatic Millionaire, right? Like if you set aside just a little bit of money every month over the course of 30 years or 20 years, that money can grow into incredible, you know, amounts. So she kind of takes that approach with real estate investing. Like, again, she's not trying to do super fancy full-time investing strategies. She's just getting a good return on investment that's going to give her a, an incredible retirement someday. So that's what I loved about the show. And I wanted to make that point and I forgot earlier. So I'm throwing Agreed. it right now. I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome. All right. Well, if uh, if you're listening still, and we hope you are, you know, definitely be sure to keep up with what we got going on on Bigger Pockets. If you don't have a membership, jump on today, create a free membership, or of course, feel free to explore our paid options as well uh, at biggerpockets.com. Uh, beyond that, definitely, definitely make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, G+, LinkedIn, now Pinterest, we're, we're sharing stuff on Pinterest all of a sudden, my goodness. Uh, but, uh, we, you know, we, we, we like to share our content through various channels and, and we'll, we'll do different deals and kind of fun stuff through uh, these individual different networks as well. So uh, if you're active on any of those, uh, definitely check us out. But that's it. Get out there, 
make it happen. Learn something today. Connect with somebody new this week and want to wish you lots of luck. And we'll see you next week on Show 81. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.